Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hello everybody and welcome to Coffee and Geography. Got a bit of a special episode for you today, so we're going to listen to a bunch of people about something called the Reteach Project. Now this is a project that I was involved with and it's all about reading lists, but reading lists with a difference. So at the moment the Reteach Project has uh, two subjects, Uh, so if you're a lover of geography, well hopefully you would be listening to this podcast and history, then these reading lists, they're aimed at educators, but if you have an an institutional or an education email, you can sign up for free and access these reading lists. And historians and geographers, educators, they have compiled these reading lists under different categories um, and given their perspectives about how they could be used to further your knowledge and understanding. And if you're in the education sector, you're teaching also. So the first part is going to be um, a little bit of edited audio from the lecture that myself and Catherine Owen gave uh, back at the uh, Geographical Association Annual Conference in 2023, uh, where we talked about the Reteach Project and how it could be used by geography teachers. So um, have a little listen to this first, gives you a bit of an overview if you want to access all the resources that have been talked about, including the Reteach website, then you can find the links down in the description. But uh, just for ease, um, if you're at your computer now, you can go to reteach.org.uk slash subject slash geography, and you can have a little mosey around there. Right, so here comes the first bit, listening to me and Catherine Owen, the previous Coffee and Geography guest, talk about the Reteach project, and then I'll come back and I'll give you a little bit of a treat where we listen to some authors from the books. Here we go. When we think of wider reading, extended reading, things like that, we always try to think of how are we going to develop our own CPD, our own knowledge understanding. I mean, Catherine, what, what do you to be consider like further reading from your point of view, if you were like the classic teacher training, teacher CPD style? Um, I would say, I'd say Health and Geography by Mark Enser is a big one at the moment that everybody's reading. And the thing is that, um, and there's also, there's publishers um, that are putting out a lot of books about different things. And um, and it's great to be able to look at ideas. Um, it's great to be able to, I mean, like this one, I love, Dual Coding with Teachers. Absolutely fantastic to find out about that idea of pedagogy. But then it's nothing if you haven't got that subject background to it. So I think one of the things that... Um, that I'll source about with the Reteach project was, you know, we've got um, things like all the newspapers and the academic papers and things like that that are all out there. And then we've got wonderful books like these, which are telling you, you know, use dual coding. And, um, you know, this is just full of the, my favourite section in this one, I think, is where it talks about like careers and job yes. future and stuff. Absolutely. Yes. And you've got all this amazing stuff. But how does this connect? How do we connect? Um, our teaching in the classroom, our passion for the pedagogy, how do we connect that with our passion for geography? And one of the really cool things that you probably noticed about geography teachers is we do actually like our subjects. I think, you know, books like these are great, but books like these are amazing for us to be developing that subject knowledge and wider understanding of the world. This one's in the room. 
So uh, those say, of you who've got that one. Say a little bit about your Thunder and Lightning books. That's one of your favorites. Yeah, this there. one's in the room. So just hold it up <laughs> if you've got it. Yeah, I carried that all the way from Norfolk to Norfolk. Hope you appreciate that. But if you flick through that, that when I got that, I got that as a Christmas present. Um, and that when I flicked through that, I read it, I absolutely blew my mind. That did. It was such a unique way of, of telling the story of weather, climate and all that kind of stuff through, through poetry, through artwork, through historical events. And I was like, if I was still in the classroom, because as a lot of you know, I'm not in the classroom anymore. But if I was in the classroom, there is so much stimulus in that book alone. And you could pretty much write a whole scheme of work on that book alone when it comes to weather and climate. And it also has this amazing cross-curricular element. You know, if you're going to enhance uh, literacy, for example, there's a lot about, you know, creative writing and poetry in there. If you're going to link it with history, that it links with historical events. It's, there's, um, you know, some uh, uh, natural hazard case studies in there. And it is, there's some biblical references and, and some religion and RE and RSE or whatever you call it nowadays. I find this so much more enriching. I mean, it's not that I find these boring or stale. I just get more stimulated and more excited and more invested. They're still children, don't they? Exactly. And, and that's what the children really do too. It's lush as well when you can um, sort of, oh, yeah. you know, read a little extract from a book. And the kids are first of all shocked because maybe you're using fiction, not non-fiction. Like, what? And, um, and then they're like, what was that from? Um, I haven't got that in the library. So I've been trying to, you know, connect with our librarians so that things we're using in lessons... Um, we're also got in the school library, so they have got, you know, they're empowered to be able to take that sort of reading journey into their own hands. Okay, I guess we can start talking about the actual website now. So, Federico, <laughs> we're getting into it now, yeah. Um, right, so yeah, t- talk to us about the, uh, the ReTeach website, Catherine. Right, so um, this project, I have to say, has just been absolutely fabulous to work on because um, uh, there was sort of, you know, an email went out, anybody interested in coming up with reading lists for different topics, excuse to read loads of books. And um, so what's happened is that um, a team of uh, geography educators have worked on creating different lists. We've had a lot of freedom to be able to do the topics we want to and in the ways we want to, which has meant that we've been able to really just go for it and um, and come up with all sorts of different um, approaches um, to looking at different books. Um, it was decided to organise into different sections. So what you do is you go onto the site and you've got those different topics um, that you can go into. And so you click on those and then that is going to take you then to... Um, a load of titles and yep. um, then you can choose which one you want to look at. Now for each title um, that we've got, you will then have um, reading resources that are recommended. Now I say reading resources because it's not all about books. It's also about academic articles and it's also about um, news articles. Um, and it's videos, also podcasts. videos, podcasts. Yep. There's um, for most of the list, there's four um, main ones that are recommended and has um, and have a little write up. Um, some of the write ups are longer than others, but um, there's little write ups for them. And then um, there's a link so you can find the book if you want to be able to get hold of it. Um, quite a lot of the stuff is free to access, so quite often mm-hmm. you're going to click on the link and it's going to take you to, like I say, a news article or a PDF of an academic paper. Things like that. Um, we've made big efforts to make sure that you don't click on a link 
um, hopefully very often, and it says like this will be three hundred pounds. Yeah. You know, we've um, we've looked with a sort of you know geography teacher budget in mind, and um, and the idea is that you'll have a theme. So what's what's the theme of this that, one? That was one of my lists. I think that was the um, it might have been that one. The natural process mechanisms. Yeah. 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 So <coughs> so you can sort of, you know, basically choose something you want to look into and it would give you four with a little explanation. And then it would say further reading and there'll be another four. There's also um, a um, link. Uh, there's also links to um, little video clips which are available. I don't know if you guys know about the Educational Recording Agency, ERA, and that is freely available for um, you know, for you to use. And um, so quite often it links into that, doesn't mm -hmm. it, as well? We've got little links to the drips. Uh, you folks at home, hopefully you're, you're scrolling through the Reteach uh, geography website now and you can see how the lists are all compiled and whatnot. And the thing is as well, because they've been compiled by uh, geography educators, there's, you know, there's a bit of rhyme and reason, hopefully, behind it. Yes, so yeah. quite often um, when you go onto a reading list, you'll see it tells a story. So maybe the first book might give um, a bit of background to a topic and then the next recommendation might home in a particular area. And then the next one might actually be something which um, would um, contrast with the one that was before it. So you'll sort of, you know, if you're going through those readings, hopefully you'll take a bit of a journey exploring mm. the topic and then you've got the further readings and the little video clips and stuff which um you know that you can choose to have a look at as well if you if you yeah. so wish china Payne online said um this is a great resource just looking at the africa is not a country section nice to see the girl with the louding voices mentioned as a fiction read love that book so so that's great so you see how it's also helping to diversify force uh, voices it's also helping to make sure that there's a representation of the subject as, you know, you've got a piece of fiction there from someone from that part of the world talking about, mm -hmm. you know, what it is to be someone from 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 uh, that part of Africa. So shameless plug for my podcast here. Um, if you combine, for example, Disaster by Choice by Ian Kelman, but then you synergize that with another piece of medium. So here we've got uh, Dr. Keston Perry talking about Haiti. So if I if it works, let's see if I can play this. What is I'm, I'm particularly interested in is, is Haiti. Um, as a society, it is at, at one time it was for France the most lucrative colony owned. If you look at in terms of the size of the country, it, it is not that 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 large. Um, and now today, it, it about one about ten million people inhabitants. Um, and at that time, you know, France and and was gaining its wealth because of during the colonial times, that is, was gaining it well because of the plantations it had in Haiti. How I make that connection to current climate change is the fact that the kinds of patterns of extractive um, agriculture, the kinds of um, environmental practices that were, pra that were put into place during colonialism meant that communities in order to get things like income and, and, and sources of, 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 of energy, men that communities in Haiti had to um, engage in certain kinds of uh, deforestation, engage in environmental practices um, that were colonial practices at the very beginning. Okay, so we'll pause there. But now if, now if you link that to the pretty much the whole chapter in Kelman's book about Haiti and Haiti earthquake, 
And you combine that with that more of that backstory, that nuance and what Dr. Keston Perry was saying, it opens up a whole new realm of geographical question and geographical thinking and absolute access, gives you that access to that nuance that's been missing in a lot of teaching up to this point. And when it, when it comes to this diagram here, um, books can put you beyond your comfort zone yes. as well, which is so important. Um, so you've got like, you know, when you've, when you've got things, those hard questions, you know, those big dilemmas, difficult things in the world, um, it can be, you know, people can be fearful. And a lot of our children are scared about the world. Um, I teach in a secondary school in Somerset. We do not have a great amount of ethnic diversity at all. And then you hear students say things, where did you get that idea from? And they're getting it from social media. They're getting it from some of the newspapers. And, and they're scared. And they um, deny that there's problems. But reading can take our students and us, because it's really important that we keep thinking about where we are and we can learn. And we can start to um, think about questions that make us uncomfortable. And we can start to, you know, listen to other people who think and look differently to us. And then hopefully we can get into the growth zone and we can uh, be promoting and advocating um, for geographers who are doing fantastic work to be able Ooh. to um, open up people's eyes to some of the issues to do with privilege and to do with bias um, and to do with things like colonialism. Um, so it's, you know, books are a way for someone like me that's teaching in Somerset in this, you know, very uh, sort of <laughs> backwater type place for me to engage with the world and to be challenged and to, uh, be thinking about, um, you know, actually, I need to learn a lot more about this and this, and I need to listen to these people. You know, it's great. Books take us there. Absolutely. And we have a podcast coming out for reteach. So this is from my chat with Andrew Kane, who's hilarious. He appears on this list here for his book, Marine Biology. So I guess then, if if we say to were to uh, walk into a sport. Could even be your school, Catherine's school, my, my ex school, whatever. Uh, and you notice that you have your either this book or one of your four books on the shelf in the staff library or the student library or both. What do you think it is about your book that might be compelling to teachers or students? Um, it's fun. Um, there's, there's, you know, it's it's humorous in time, you know, in part. So it's not serious all the time. There's too, I think there's too many, um, and I'm, I'm not criticising it in any way, shape or form, but there's the, the more humour you can get into the classroom, the better it's going to be. Mm, totally agree. Um, and it's too stale. And so, you know, there's lots of humour in that book. There's The kids will smile. Um, and, and as soon as you see a smile, you've got them. And then they can then they can start to learn 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 better for want of a better word. Yeah. So, is there any particular part in in your books where you were like you you had to chuckle yourself? You're like, I can't believe I wrote that. That's pretty cool. Or like anything that you think would get a laugh out loud, a lol, as the kids would say, a lol uh, nowadays. Yeah, in these <laughs> books. Well, one line, I think one line is, um, I think it was talking about a uh, an urchin that lived in the sand. Uh, oh no, I was talking about something else that lived in the sand. That was it. I can't remember what it was now, but this. Then I said, and this urchin would plough past and destroy its house. 
um, as it bored through the bored through the sand. And <laughs> I just added, and if you think you've got trouble with your neighbours, just think about that poor little sod. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just I know. I know you said it wasn't an urchin, but now I'm just. Uh, I, I just instinctively looked down the cul-de-sac to see if there's a giant urchin rolling this way. <laughs> so yeah, you can see exactly. You can see how it's like playing on your imagination. Of course, that's a ridiculous thing to imagine, but that's the whole point. I folks just want to take a little bit of a break in between the two parts. We'll get back to listening to um, other reteach chats that I had. Um, but in terms of coffee and jog fee, just want to say, you know, that this is an, a labor of love. Uh, I don't make any money from this podcast. Anything I do get donation wise or sponsorship wise gets put straight back into jog rambling's educational work. Um, but it is tough trying to maintain this through time, effort and money. So please, could I ask all of you to uh, do your best to do one or more of the following? It really, really, really will help. Uh, the first thing is to uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast so if you listen to it on apple podcast it takes two seconds to scroll down and click the star rating hopefully five would be nice even better if you could write a review that'd be fantastic but no matter what platform you're listening to this on you should be able to give some kind of uh, rating and even better some kind of review that actually plays with the algorithm and then bumps up the visibility of the podcast so more people get to listen to it so that simple act spreads the geography word so please do that if you do have uh, a few uh, pound to spare um Every little bit does really does help to try and maintain this, to pay for the yearly subscription. Um, the main way you can do this is to go to uh, coffee.com slash kitrackley. That's ko-fi.com slash kitrackley, R-A-C-K-L-E-Y. And you can donate there. And if you're looking to change energy providers because of the energy hikes or you wanted to be going to some, someone a bit more greener, then all of my education work, this podcast or my equipment is powered um, by the solar panels on my roof, but also by Octopus Energy. Now, Octopus Energy are not sponsors of this podcast and have not endorsed any links. However, I do have a referral code, uh, which is share.octopus.energy slash read, that's R-E-E-D, read dash foul, which is F o a l dash 1515 read foul-15 so if you're looking to switch energy supply please use that referral code and anything i get from that referral will go straight back into my educational work okay folks uh thanks for listening for that uh extended break any support you can give would be absolutely fantastic and uh let's now go back to this episode about the reteach project and let's listen to some of my other reteach podcast chats with some wonderful authors. Reteach, podcast for teachers seeking fresh viewpoints, deeper subject knowledge, and diverse thinking. Today, I'm joined by Carrie Curtis, Professor of City Planning and Transport and Honorary Professional Fellow at the University of Melbourne, Australia. She has spent many years researching this important issue of sustainable transport and published last year the editor of the Handbook of Sustainable Transport. Welcome, Kerry. Hi. Well, I'm happy to be here. I think it might have been two years ago now. You've, you've already mentioned it a little bit, but why is it so important that we have to look at sustainable transport through all those sustainability lenses? So social, economic, and I'll even add political in that as well. Yeah, it's important, but it, 
that is also, I think, part of the reason that it's a problematic area. So when I started, yeah, as I said, 30 years ago, we were going, what on earth is sustainability? And it was very much about the environment. And then I emigrated and I suddenly discovered that they called it environmental sustainability. And sustainability included the economic, it included the social, and later on this kind of fourth pillar, which was governance. As so, I think one of the problems with the economic is um, is back to that balancing act. In a way, the priority, well, not in a way, absolutely the priority has to be the environment. You can't have an economy if you completely destroy the environment. I don't care what other people say. I think it's an elusive paradigm. I love his term because although there was this push and there are government policies, the aspirations towards sustainable transport, Nobody ever said we shouldn't continue to design our cities around the car and private travel and long distance and high speed travel. I think as I've reached the end of my career, I'm saying, I think we've been too polite. In order to be heard around sustainable transport, we've said, oh, yes, well, we're not anti-car. You can still blah, blah, blah. But uh, in fact, I think we now do need to say we really need to get real because we are not killed. You can't have both paradigms tracking together. Community who I know very, very well and I have collaborated with on many occasions. Kate Stockings is head of geography at a London school, an active blogger, sharer of ideas and supports many educational organisations to enhance the teaching of geography. Welcome, Kate. It's great to see you again. I get Thank you. Thanks for having me onto the podcast. To be, give a bit of context research suggests is, uh, um, many different views, but if I give one example from um, Catherine Walker's Young young People at Crossroads, for example, that research and many other research from a lot of um, environmental charities categorically states that this is what the youngsters want. They The youngsters are done with, you know, the basics, causes, impacts, solutions. They want to know the nuances. They want to know why we got here. They want to focus on the climate justice. So which is why I, I feel that, you know, the work that both you and Tim done is going to be far more impactful um, and allows for a, a whole range of approaches. So, you're, you know, they're not siloed into just looking at the, you know, the meteorological, climatological kind of impacts and, and things like that. But they, if they want to go down the justice route, they can. If they want to go down the historical route, they can. If they want to go down, uh, you know, things to do with migration, resilience, climate resilience, they can go down that route. Yeah, we, so it's very important. We kind of, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't infinite space in the book. So there wasn't space to do the justice and element that we would have liked to do but what we were able to do with the lens that we decided to take was we were able to where we did talk about impacts and possible solutions we did that through a really synoptic um viewpoint so again using my knowledge of a-level geography tried to make sure that we actually drew out those links to the other elements of geography that they learn about in that A-level. So like one mm-hmm. example, in chapter four, where we're talking about the impacts of climate change, we talk about it through a risk management approach, which our top our students will know about from tectonics. But they probably are highly likely to have kind of siloed that into in tectonics, I learned about risk management and risk management approach of vulnerability and hazards and risk. But have they actually thought about climate change in that way? And we kind of drew a synoptic link there and got them thinking in a slightly different way. 
in chapter five, where we talk about the complexity of the climate crisis. And we talked about the Kuznets curve and we linked that to globalization. And we said, actually, have you thought about when you're looking at emissions and when you're thinking about whether emissions have increased or decreased, have you actually thought about the fact that China has imported many Western emissions? And have you considered that link between globalization, which we know you've done in detail in A-level geography, but have you linked that to climate change? Um, and hopefully teachers would agree that we do that quite well in the book, that getting them to think mm. about climate change and how it links to all those different areas rather than just climate change is a thing I learn about in this topic. And that's that. Joining me today is a scientist who is held in very high regard in the teaching community, speaking from experience, not just for his expertise, but for his presence and passion regarding issues related to climate change. So it gives me a lot of pleasure to say welcome, Professor Mark Maslin. Thank you, Kit, and thank you for having me on your podcast. I mean, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and I do speak up a half on a lot of uh, geography educators. Is that um, well? Put it this way: they are probably a bit jealous of me right now. Which I'm fine <laughs> with that. Books just allow you to go somewhere else. Um, so, for example, I remember reading Lord of the Rings as a twelve-year-old. You know, sort of like going, "I'm going to Mordor." You know, but also reading sort of like scientific things about sort of like the Tower Physics, you know, or Tower Physics as it should be pronounced. You know just soaking up all of this stuff. And again, I think that is the interesting thing, which is books allow you to access so much knowledge in a way that you can interpret it for yourself. And I think sometimes it's difficult when you're streaming stuff and you're watching films, you're watching series, even when you're online flicking through sort of like Instagram and things like that, it doesn't give you the time to actually think, imagine, and process. And I think that's why I will still go back and say there is a massive place for books in our society. And it's interesting, if you look at the number of books sold in the UK – they have actually gone up. They haven't yeah. actually gone down. And I think this is what I love about society and the evolution of society. Everybody goes, this is going to replace this. No, actually, when we add something new, we just add it on. We don't actually replace books in any shape or form. So, yeah, and one of the key things I just encourage people just to read. Read for pleasure, read for knowledge. Again, it is a very different way of accessing information than going through your Twitter feed and seeing all the arguments. And folks, um, I can tell you, Mark is exceptionally passionate and genuine with with that idea, because right behind you, you've got, well, I can see three rammed full bookcases there but I, I would imagine they're not the only three you have though no so these are the books that i see as workbooks so uh, <laughs> yeah no and the thing is yeah i mean it is literally crammed to the rafters uh you're absolutely right kit and and it's everything so i i love the the sort of very short introduction guides from oxford university press because it gives me a quick dive in my partner's iranian so of course i've got the one on iran so i can actually catch up on the politics of the country which seem to be rather dynamic and exciting at the moment you know it's mm. just I've also got other ones which I sometimes struggle with the philosophers. So I've got a whole set of introductions too, which are cartoons. I'm not proud, okay? I am, if I want to understand Derrida or I want to understand Foucault, yeah, I, I start with the comic book just to get some of the basics and then I'll start reading a bit more That's deep. amazing. I am delighted 
to be joined today by Elin Kelman, Professor of Disasters and Health at Institute of Risk and Disaster Reduction based at University College London. Elin is the author of the popular book, Disaster by Choice, How Our Actions Turn Natural Hazards into Catastrophes. It is such an honour to see you, Elin. Welcome. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity and also for all the work that you do. Absolutely. The examples that you gave in that video, so like you gave the, again, you say it's in the book, like the analogy of a car crash, for example, it's like that, you know, that, that there are mechanisms at play which cause that to happen. You know, people don't just crash their car. And the other thing you said, which was really, really um, made me, even though I'm an extra free teacher myself, it made me think was Japan, yeah, they're fantastic at preparing for an earthquake. But it was the tsunami that did a lot of people in a lot of damage. So they had prepared, they had goal of that, they had all that knowledge, expertise, decision to prepare for a structural damage from an earthquake or whatever it is. But then a tsunami came along and they weren't prepared for that. And that and just that, blew my mind. Yeah, that is absolutely the illustration. And, and also I fully support you about Ellie. She is amazing. It's not just my conversation with her. Really do look up YouTube and the curious geographer. She's just absolutely amazing, amazing mind of information, knowledge, and energy to educate. Yep. I've learned so much from her. Uh, and these examples, which she drew out for me so well, really illustrate. It is amazing what Japan and other places like California and Seattle okay. have done in order to prepare for earthquakes. It's not precluding the chance of a major earthquake catastrophe in the future, but they've been tested so often and saved thousands of lives. Yeah. We know that like Japan, California, and Oregon and Washington State are actually not fully ready for that major tsunami. That's the statement of what we still have to ask why. Mm-hmm. And this why comes from that V word, vulnerable, vulnerability, to show that people will focus on one certain aspect of nature, neglecting the others. That's not something that I can particularly do. It's not something you can particularly do because we don't have that power. I can stand up and scream all I want and say, actually, London also is not ready for a major tsunami, but what can I actually do? Well, I've tried to keep myself out of a tsunami inundation zone. I think very carefully about where I live. That doesn't help the thousands who are definitely vulnerable, who are at risk. And again, if the people are struggling day to day, are working two to three low paying jobs and commuting two hours each way to get to one of those jobs, simply because they are marginalized, they're oppressed, they're in poverty, and they're kept from trying to do better. How can I go to them? And say, oh, you know, you're actually in London's tsunami inundation zone. You might want to think about that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So there we go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that little bit of a different episode there um, where I spoke to Andrew Kane, Carrie Curtis, Kate Stockins, Mark Meslin and Elon Kalman uh, for the Reteach podcast. Now, you can find the Reteach podcast on most podcatchers and platforms, so the likes of Apple Podcasts, Google, um, Spotify, etc. So do give those a listen, and you'll be able to find out about uh, why they wrote what they wrote, why they were included in the Reteach um, reading lists, and how they can be used to further your own knowledge or enhance your teaching if you are a geography teacher. So that's it from me for this week. I'll be back next week with the uh, usual coffee and geography um, format where I listen to the guests. And until then, take care. 
thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.